Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Today we're going to continue our series. We're going to today talk about making room for family. And so if you have your phone, you're welcome to go to our YouVersion app. And all of our notes are available, available to you on that app. You can go to uh, more in the bottom, click events, type in Love City Church. And those should be available to you there. And we're going to just continue talking about making room for family. Now, obviously, Christmas time is a lot about family. It's a lot about that's what really Christmas is really all about. The reality is, is that Christmas can be a little bit challenging for a lot of families. Maybe you come from the too much depth family where you go, you go in knowing that you're going to have to prepare yourself because you're going to talk about all the politically correct hot topics. You're going to talk about all the politics and all the things that everyone's debating. And if you don't have the right position, it's going to go up in flames. Maybe you're going to Christmas with that. You just know that I just got to keep my mouth shut because we're going to fight the whole time. Or maybe you're the opposite. You're a no-depth family. You basically just got to make it through the game, eat your turkey, and all you talk about is the weather and how the flames are doing. And you're just like, you're good with that. Like, I'm just going to sit here and talk about how it's not snowing. Oh, nice weather, huh? Yeah, nice weather. 12 degrees today. Yeah, 12 degrees tomorrow, too. And you're just going to sit there the whole time and just try to make it through your meal and just get it. Oh, that was awesome. Love you guys. See you next year. No depth at all. Maybe you're in an environment where there's a lot of unforgiveness. Maybe you've done something to offend someone in your family and they haven't forgiven you or vice versa. You are holding some unforgiveness towards your family or maybe you're in a family of unbelievers. Maybe it's the conversation's awesome and you get along well and it's great, but you can't go deep spiritually. You wanna talk about your faith and your walk with God and what God's speaking to you and you find that I just can't seem to do that with my family because they're just not in the same place I am spiritually. And maybe you're the last one, maybe you're just clueless and you just think life's great and your family's perfect and you never have any problems and you go and it's just this magical movie moment and I love the fact and I pray it stays that way for you and one day I hope the blinders don't come off your eyes and realize that our families are dysfunctional. Family's dysfunctional. It's just the bottom line. It's been that way since the beginning of time. I mean, Adam and Eve, when, when Adam and Eve were, they, they were the first ones on the planet and they screwed everything up for us by uh, uh, Eve ate of the fruit and Adam ate of the fruit. Now here we are today. And then the very first family in the Bible was Cain and Abel and Cain murdered his brother Abel. That was the first relationship, the brother-sibling relationship in the Bible ended in murder. We have uh, Abraham and Hagar, where Abraham slept with his nanny and they had a baby and it wasn't quite what didn't quite pan out. Or Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was about to murder his 25-year-old son on the altar after God told him to. I mean, that is just so crazy. How about uh, Jacob uh, and Isaac? Isaac very clearly in the Bible said that he chose favorites. He liked Esau more than he liked Jacob. Very clearly it says that he had favorites in the Bible and Jacob had this thing inside of him where he had to prove his dad wrong. And so he stole his brother's birthright and stole his brother's blessing and spent his whole life trying to gain his dad's approval until finally he realized he didn't need it. He just needed God's approval. And how about this one? Jacob, a young boy, 11, 10 older brothers, about the age of 12 years old, was thrown into a cave and sold by his brothers into slavery. Now listen to those stories and now compare it to your family. <laughs> Got it pretty good. This has been a reality since the very foundation of time. It's been an issue that we've been facing where families are just dysfunctional. 
Why are they dysfunctional? Why are they like this? The reality is, is because guys, whether you like it or not, whether we always act like this or not, as a follower of Christ, you might try to live your life as selfless as you can. But the truth is, at the end of the day, we all really live our lives for ourselves. In James chapter 3, 16, it says, for wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, or I have ambition that is about me, or I am jealous about someone else. Look what the scripture says. There you will find disorder. You will find evil of every kind. Now, how about this scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4? For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Well, how do you know that, Paul? Well, because you're jealous of one another, and you won't stop fighting with one another. You keep quarreling. You keep bickering. You keep arguing. Every time you get together around the holidays, you just know that if you say one word to that brother, hi, oh, hi, what do you mean by that? And boom, you quarrel, and you fight, and you argue. How do we know that we're being controlled by our own agenda, by our own selfish nature, is that when we go into an environment of our family, we're living to protect ourselves and defend ourselves and make sure that I'm being heard and make sure my agenda is being met and making sure it's really all about me. And this has been the reality, so don't feel too bad. It's just every single person on the planet struggles with this reality. We struggle to put ourselves down and lay our agenda down and to serve someone else ahead of ourselves. That is a challenge that every single one of us faces, so don't feel badly today. If you say, man, that kind of sounds like me, don't worry, it's me too. We have this reality where we struggle with this internal desire to make it about us. I am convinced that the purpose of family is to constantly remind us that it's not about us. (laughs) And then we have Jesus. Jesus enters the scene and he comes onto the earth and he comes to change things up a little bit. And when Jesus Christ came into the earth, when he came into the family of Mary and Joseph, he came into an environment of drama. He came into an environment of messiness. He came into an environment of some potential dysfunction. And the reality is, is that what Jesus does for you and I is he actually shows us a way where we can actually have the, the, the family that Christ intended for us to have. And when you and I become followers of Jesus, that's one of the greatest things about serving God is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are actually given the opportunity to now live the life that Christ intended for us to live from the very beginning in Eden prior to the fall of man. As followers of Jesus, we are working towards this family dynamic that God wants wants for our lives, especially during the Christmas holidays. Jesus came to make these things right. And today I want to read a story that surrounds the birth of Jesus as we will do in this series. And I want to just articulate four specific things to making room for family through these four things that we'll see in the scripture. We'll read in Luke chapter 1 verses 39 to 45. And it says this, at that time, At what time? The time Mary had just had a dream or an encounter with an angel. This angel came to her and said, you are highly favored of God. You will, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will be pregnant. You will be, uh, give birth to the Son of God, to God himself, to the coming Messiah that had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of, of years. You will be the carrier of this child. So Mary had this incredible moment with God. If you think you've had incredible moments with God, Mary had a better one. She found out she was going to be carrying God himself. 
And at that moment when that happened, the scripture says very clearly that at that time, so a moment when Mary had this, it would insinuate in the text that Mary left from that moment immediately. She packed her bags and she literally fled to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. It says at that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why, uh, I'm sorry, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would, would fulfill his promise to her. We see in the scripture, as I said, that Mary made her way quickly to, Mary's, uh, to Elizabeth's home. She had this amazing encounter with God. She was told that she would be the carrier of the Messiah, that she'd be pregnant without having sex with her husband. And it would be this crazy virgin birth that has never happened before. It will, it will alter the way life is done, the way people see God, the way people see their experience with Yahweh. It'll transition everything. And Mary's first reaction was to run to her family. Her first reaction was to run down to where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived. Now, it's important you understand the context of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were probably, Elizabeth was probably around 76 years old, and Zechariah was probably pushing 80, 82. So they were in well off in years. Zechariah was a priest, and what they did was is they would draw, literally draw straws, and who would go into the temple and represent the people of Israel by burning a sacrifice and going through all the ritualistic things they would do to cover the sins of Israel, they would, they would, this would only happen once in your lifetime as a priest. And so when Zechariah drew the, the straw, the short straw, it was a momentous moment in his career as a priest to be able to be a conduit of the Redeemer on behalf of the people of Israel. So here's Zechariah, this man of God, he's righteous, he's now about to uh, go through the rituals in order to take take upon uh, himself as a picture of Christ taking uh, all the sin on his shoulders, Zechariah was now preparing this sacrifice. It was a big deal. He was a very man of, of righteousness. And Elizabeth had been wanting to have a baby for over 50 years. She wanted to have this child for a really, really long time, but she was barren. She couldn't have kids. She tried really, really hard. And after 50 years, 70, or, I'm sorry, 76 years old, Finally, an angel came to Elizabeth and said, you're going to be with child. 76 years old. And not only was she going to be with child, she was going to be with probably the most important child outside of Christ, John the Baptist, who would then usher the way of the Messiah. So here's Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're on a pretty high right now. They're having a really cool moment where they're finally going to have their kid after all these years. Not just any kid. This kid's going to be the one who's going to usher in the Messiah. Not only that, but I get to go into the, the, the temple. And in the temple while he was there, he had this encounter with an angel. And he didn't believe that the, the angel said he's going to have a kid. And so his tongue stuck to the loose of his mouth. And he came outside and said, hey, let me tell you. And she says, honey, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. What? What would you say? And for the entire pregnancy, Zachariah's tongue was stuck to the top of his mouth and he couldn't talk to his wife until, what's his name? His name is 
What's his name? And finally his tongue opened up and he said, his name is John and he will usher in the way of the Messiah. And Mary came into this place. She walked into the house. And the four things I want to share with you today are found first in Luke 1.41. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing I saw immediately when I read this is that this year in Christmas season, really in our life, but in the Christmas season, we need to make room for family through your faith. The moment Mary, Mary was so full of faith. She was so impacted by God, so impacted by God's word, so impacted by this moment with God that all she did was say hi and something about her faith impacted Elizabeth. Elizabeth's faith also was receiving from her faith. There was this awesome interaction between Mary's faith and um, Elizabeth's faith, and something powerful happened. The Holy Spirit came and filled Elizabeth with the Spirit of God. Something happened in that moment. You have to believe this year that when you're in your family, whether they're believers or not, that you're gonna come with a greeting and a message and a heart and and words that are saturated with faith. Believing this year that if you have family members that don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe you have family members that aren't really serving God, that they grew up Catholic or grew up Christian, believe this year that your faith can be saturated by the words of God. The moment Mary spoke, there was an impact that happened by her faith. Can you believe this year that whatever impossible situation that your family is facing, that you can have the faith to believe that God can do the impossible? Do you have the faith this year to believe that when you go into your home and your mom's been sick for years and believe by faith, come on, this is going to be the year when I'm going to finally pray for my mother and believe that God could heal her body? Or maybe you've been, there's been challenges with your brother. He's had mental problems and issues going on and depression. Is this the year where you're going to come in faith and extend yourself to him and say, brother, I haven't said anything, but I want you to know today I'm going to pray and believe that God's going to do something new in your life. He's going to change you. Let your words be saturated with faith faith this Christmas season, do not go through the holidays and pretend like you're not a follower of Jesus. Don't go to your holidays and just eat your turkey and open your gift and watch the game and never allow your life to be saturated with the faith that you so strongly stand for. If you do, I believe the Holy Spirit will come and he'll minister to people's lives just like he did in this story. Look at the scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that for a minute. Without exercising your faith, without living by faith, without your faith, it's actually impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Do you believe that he exists? And that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Do you believe that God is good and that he wants to reward you? Do you believe that God can do the impossible in your life? Well, listen, then exercise your faith. Let your words be saturated with faith and it will bring great pleasure to God. How about the next one? In Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Gentile. This good news tells us how, to, how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. If you're a righteous person, then you have life and you have faith. How about this one in Romans 10, 8 to 15? What does it say? 
The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look at this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do not waste your Christmas season making it about gifts, making it about eggnog, making it about Christmas movies. That is a waste of an opportunity and a season of faith. Make it about your faith. Make it about your faith in Jesus. Make it about your faith in, in the, the, church, the church and the relationship with other people and, and being a part of a community of faith. Make it about the fact that you believe that God could do the impossible. Make it about the, the, the fact that you used to have no hope and now you have hope. Make it about your redemption, salvation story and you watch the spirit of God will come into that, that meal that you eat every year at the table where no one is spiritual and the Holy Spirit will do something that you never would have thought would have happened. Make room this Christmas season for family through your faith. The second thing we see here this morning is in Luke 1.42. In a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. Second thought here, making room for family through our acceptance. When Mary walked in the room, she was about 14 years old. Elizabeth didn't know Mary was pregnant. There was really no way to indicate she hadn't gotten the baby bump yet. She was probably in her first trimester, so she was just starting to get some hankering and probably having some morning sickness. And when she arrived to the home of Elizabeth, Elizabeth was, was well into her pregnancy, and so when, when Elizabeth walked in the room, or when Mary walked in the room, she, you know, whenever you see a, a new mom, you always see this glow, you know what I mean, this glow about a new mom. You just can tell, I, my wife's good at this. Be careful, if you're ever pregnant, stay away from my wife, because she'll be like, you're pregnant, I can see it. Shh, don't tell anybody. This glow about pregnancy, and I imagine when Mary walked in the room, something happened, because obviously the Lord spoke to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth immediately knew, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're pregnant with Jesus. I mean, she just knew instantly. But in that culture of that day, the issue was not that Mary was pregnant. It was very common in those days in a betrothal had two stages. A betrothal, for the first stage was that you would, you would come into a marriage contract with the individual that you were gonna marry and the, the girl, 14, 15 years old, would stay in her mom and dad's home during the first stage while the husband would prepare a home for the, the wife. And so, but they were contractually and under the sight of God married. So it was pretty common in those days for a married betrothed couple it was kind of frowned on but it happened where they had sex and got pregnant it was a pretty common thing they discouraged it but it, but it happened so mary's pregnancy was not the the scandalous issue it wasn't like people saw mary and thought oh my gosh she's pregnant she's only 14 no that was a pretty common reality the challenge was is that if anyone found out that mary had not had sex with joseph that's when this gets jerry springer-ish 
That's when this gets a little bit challenging because you're telling me that your husband, you did not have sex with your husband. No, I didn't have, I, I mean, I, and this is weird, but like God kind of came and overshadowed me and I know it's kind of weird, but the Holy Spirit put that in me and now I have the baby. So you didn't have sex with Joseph. No, I didn't, I'm really sorry. Like I know, okay, so I have to believe your story here because if your story is not accurate and you're lying to me, by the uh, Torah and the law, I I'm supposed to take this 15-year-old girl, lay her across her father's porch, take a rock and throw it at her face and murder her. That was the law. Now, Joseph knew the law because in the scripture, it very clearly identifies in Matthew 1, 18 and 19, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Joseph did not know that this was the reality. He had the right in the scripture because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her. That means he not only did not want to be exposed to public disgrace, but he didn't want to be required to murder her on the steps of her of her her father's porch. And so when Elizabeth saw Mary, and Mary, obviously God was in this, but if anyone else would have found out, there would have been a lot of people assuming the worst about Mary. People heard the story about what really happened, a lot of people would have assumed the worst. We come into our reality of family. Since you come in with this kind of preconceived assumption or idea about your family, whether the bad decisions they've made or why this hasn't happened or what about that business dealing, you look at their life and you have a preconceived idea. And I want to concur, encourage you today to, as a follower of Jesus, when you engage your family this year, do not have preconceived ideas about their life or their lifestyle. Accept them for who they are, even if they drive you nuts, even if you disagree with their decisions, even if you don't like how they're living their life, make a decision right now that when you engage in your family this year, you are going to 100% accept them for the, exactly for who they are. Matthew chapter four, 10, 10 verse 40, anyone who receives you receives me and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. The scripture says that if you receive someone, you're receiving Christ. Reverse it. If someone receives you, they are receiving Christ. That word receives there actually means to give access, access to them. It means to not refuse friendship, to accept and receive in your family, to embrace, to make, to make them your own, to approve of them, to not reject them, to actually attach value to them. Interesting scripture that most of us will probably disregard because we're older now, but this applies to you if you have a mother and a father that are still alive on this planet. Ephesians chapter six, verse one to three, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor, attach value to them. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Wow, what a promise. So you might be here this morning and you think your mom's crazy. You might be here this morning and your mom and dad have been in a divorce relationship for years and they literally hate one another. And then when they get in the room, everyone knows there's a ticking time bomb that's going to go off at any moment. Don't sit mom and dad next to each other. In fact, let mom sit in the kid's table in the other room. You understand something that when we come into our family environment, every how you receive someone is how you receive Christ. 
When you walk into your home this year, attach value to every person. Attach value to every person, specifically your parents. And the scripture says, guess what? You're gonna have a really, really long life and you're gonna be doubly blessed. Your father, who may have mistreated you when you were little, maybe he was abusive, maybe he uh, sinned against you. I'm not saying that that's okay. And I'm not saying you should allow it. All I'm saying is that you pray that God would give you the capacity this year to accept him the way he is knowing that it's your Christian responsibility to work towards forgiveness and reconciliation with this man or this woman who may have hurt you greatly. Acceptance is what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Look at this just example in Luke chapter five. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? This man's skin was literally dropping from his body. You might look at your mom or your dad or your brother or your cousins and look at their life and say, oh my gosh, their life is falling apart. Or you look at what they did to you and say, I can't believe, my, I can't believe that you have the, the heart and the, the deception inside of you to treat me like that. You look at their life and it's falling apart. Notice in the scripture that Jesus extended himself towards this man. He reached out and touched this man with leprosy who had contagious disease all over his body. Jesus reached out and touched this man before he even said a word. He extended himself he received him. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life. I know that you and I don't see eye to eye. I know that I'm about to touch a contagious disease, but I want you to know that I'm going to extend myself towards you through a hug and through relationship. Right now, I'm going to extend myself towards you as an example. Jesus sets an example here saying, before you even say a word, have a posture of acceptance to these people. The third one here this morning in Luke 1, we see, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Third one, which is really important, make room for family through humility. Elizabeth had waited probably 50 years for a child. I mean, think about this for a minute. 50 years, 76-year-old woman is pregnant with her first child. That makes the front of People magazine bow show. Not only that, but she actually had in her belly the most important child in the those who were followers of Yahweh, those who were Jewish followers of Yahweh, who were committed to the, to the Israelite God, committed to the Jewish God, Yahweh, those people saw John as the most important child to ever be born on this planet because he was the one who would release the coming of Christ. He was the one who would usher in. This lady had a lot to talk about over the holidays. 76 years old, pregnant with her first child, carrying John the Baptist. This girl is a town celebrity. They're having town halls and she's talking about her experience. And man, you're so old. How are you going to have a baby? Well, it's God. And she's going on about it. I mean, her world is blowing up and she's getting opportunities to go on the radio and all these people are, are, are sending her messages. And will you come and speak at our conference and do this? And this 76-year-old woman has so much to celebrate in her life. Yet when Mary walked in the room, she stopped making a about her and she made it about Mary. Look what she says in the scripture. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come? She's 15 years old, a 76-year-old woman who'd served the Lord her whole life, carrying John the Baptist, now laid down herself, her own interests, her own needs, her own wants to serve this little 15-year-old girl who was carrying Jesus. She put her own interests aside 
And she made it all about Mary. She made it all about Jesus. This is very challenging in our family when we come into an environment where I know for me, myself, a little vulnerable, I always find myself wanting to kind of come into the family environment and say, well, look, you know, look what we're doing. Proving you, you know, proving you wrong, you know, like, I'm not that big of a failure. I want to kind of talk about, hey, you see my new car outside? Yeah. What kind of car you got, brother? <laughs> Man, we go into our family environment and we have this internal need us to show up and put out and come on now, prove it. Like, I want to show, show these guys. Maybe that's not your experience. Maybe you don't do that. But the reality is, is that every single one of us has to understand that Christ has called us to live our life through humility. I'm going to let the scripture preach the rest of this point, and then we'll move on to our fourth one. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. If you've gotten anything out of, out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, actually, if you even care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Let's let that sentence sink in for a minute. See yourself as Jesus Christ saw himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he actually set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him for far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. This Christmas season, I dare you to go into your Christmas holidays and not talk about yourself once. I dare you to engage your brother, your sister, your cousins, your friends, your family, and say, tell me about your life. What's going on in your heart? What's, what are you challenged with? What's going on in your mind? Hey, by the end of it, you say, hey, can I pray with you? Man, I believe in faith today that God, I promise you something, that if you, God says, God, the, the scripture says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That means when you're humble, grace follows. When you're humble, God's spirit follows. When you're humble and you put their, their advantage and their agenda and their needs and their wants before your own, guess what? You are being like Jesus. This holiday season, I encourage you to make room for your family through being a person of humility. And lastly, and certainly not least, in fact, I don't think you can make room for faith and acceptance and make room for all of these things Unless you do the following, make room for family through forgiveness. 
Mary, I had this crazy revelation as I was studying the scripture and I had a real moment with the Lord. Think about this for a minute, that even though Mary's pregnancy wasn't this big societal faux pas that made her this harlot or a prostitute, adulterous woman, the fact that if anyone found out, so everywhere Mary went, she didn't know if they knew the truth or not. And people say, oh, it's awesome. How are you and Joseph doing? You know, she might slip. Oh, like, you know, yeah, you know, Joseph and I, are, you know, I don't know. Maybe she slipped up in her language or maybe someone told someone who told someone who told someone. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before in your life, but you've, you've been through a situation and you come out of that situation and you engage certain individuals and you're always wondering, do they know the truth of the situation? Are they judging me? Do they have this preconceived picture? You know, you have something go on at work and you leave and all the gossip goes up and you show up the next day and you just kind of feel like everyone's talking about you. I just feel like people are kind of whispering, and maybe it's just me because I'm schizophrenic or something, but maybe, have you ever experienced that before? You just feel like, man, I just feel like people don't have the whole story. Wherever Mary went, she had to deal with this reality that when she walked into these environment of these people carrying this baby, 15 years old, married to Joseph, Joseph could have slipped up and told the shopkeeper on a bad day, he was frustrated, I can't believe this, and walks in and tells the story, and they tell that person, that person, that person. Mary had no idea who knew the truth. But think about this for a minute. This is what impacted me. Jesus was pregnant with forgiveness. Everywhere she went, she carried forgiveness himself right in the depths of her heart. Physically, she carried Christ, who was the redeemer, the grace giver, the forgiven one, the one who came to forgive us of all of our sin. But spiritually, she had God himself right there in her heart. Everywhere she went, she carried. So when your dad comes to you and assumes all those things about you, that you're not that person anymore, but they can't get over the fact that you're, I'm not that person that you think I am anymore. You come with a heart of saying, whatever, dad, I love you. When your brother comes to you and wants to prove this and that, or whether you're friends or family, or whether you're fighting, or whether things are great, always have knowing that you are pregnant with forgiveness. Luke chapter 17, three and four, if another believer sins, rebuke that person, then if there's repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. Mark 11, 24 and 26, I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you received it, it'll be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Did you catch that? Anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. This last one in Matthew 6, 9 and 15. This is then how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. You'll notice in the scripture that there's 11 words in the scripture, about 11 words, different specific words that God does. God, God is, God's kingdom come. God's will be done. God gives us bread. God forgives us. God leads us. God delivers us. This is the prayer that Jesus taught us on how to bring king, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in your life. This is how Jesus taught us to communicate with the Father. 
This is how you're supposed to pray. This is how you commune with God. This is how you bring heaven to earth. Recognize that God kingdom come. God's will be done. God gives. God forgives. God leaves. God delivers. 95% of this entire exchange between us and God is about God doing something for us. There's one statement that identifies your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ. The word forgiveness actually means separation. It means to put in motion, to send away, to forsake, to hurl away, to put away, to let alone, to disregard. In secular Greek, it initially conveyed the, the sense of the idea to throw. And in one secular writing, we read that it means to like let the pot drop. From this early literal use, the word came to mean to leave it or to let it go. Literally, you let it go. You just let the pot drop. You just let it go. Get it out of your hands. And in verse 12, it says that, and forgive our debts as we also forgive. That is the most important little tiny word in all of this scripture that we read today. That little tiny word as goes from what God is doing. He says, listen, God Forgive us our debts as I forgive. So in the measure that I'm letting go in my life, Lord, you can also give me forgiveness. This is a huge temperature gauge as a follower of Jesus Christ to put into your heart today to say, listen, Ryan, I've been feeling distant from God. I've been feeling far from the Lord. I've been feeling like I haven't connected with him and I don't know why. I would put money on it that it has something to do with the area of offense or unforgiveness or holding a grudge, whether it be with your family or a friend or a loved one or a spouse or an ex-spouse or something in your life. Who knows? Whatever it might be, this is the very thing, this word as, the very thing that keeps you from experiencing everything God has for you is in the ability and the capacity you have to let go. As I have forgiven, as I have let go, as I have released, as I have loved, as I have cared, as I have done these things, God, this is my standard. So if I'm gonna forgive this much, God, this is the amount I expect in return. Well, I want all God's forgiveness. I want all God's love. I want him to come on and just completely forgive me. The scripture clearly teaches here that the measure that you give is the measure you will receive. We look in the scripture here in Matthew 6. This is the only Coles notes Jesus gives on this scripture. He doesn't talk about your kingdom coming. He doesn't talk about your bread. He doesn't talk about anything else. He has a little tiny cold note, little cliff note for Americans, a little tiny cliff note here in the very bottom. And he says this, oh, by the way, let me add to this. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive you. Are you kidding me, Jesus? So the measure that I give forgiveness is the measure that I'm gonna receive. You're telling me that if I don't forgive my dad, even though he's hurt me and abused me and it's not right and he should put boundaries up and it should never happen again. And yes, listen, just because you're, you're forgiven doesn't mean there's still pain. It doesn't mean there's still hurt. Yes, all those things are real, but the reality of forgiveness in your life, the very piece of forgiveness that you can't let go of is the reason why you have not been able to break through in your relationship with the Lord is because you're holding on to this thing and you say, I really 
really want to know God, but I can't ever forgive that person. The scripture teaches that the measure that you forgive is the measure that you will receive his forgiveness. The, the issue isn't whether or not Jesus will forgive you. Say, did you saying Jesus won't forgive me? No, he wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you of your sin, but you're holding this forgiveness in your hand, like the Greek word says, this pot in your hand, and you cannot hold both unforgiveness and God's forgiveness at the same time. He says this to you because he loves you. He's, he's hard in this way. He says, listen, you have to know something. I cannot pour out my love in your life if you will not allow space in your heart and in your life by letting go of that thing. The moment you let go, the moment you forgive is the moment the love of the Father, the redemption of Jesus overwhelms you and everything that you held on to no longer has any value or weight because listen, in this world, people make stupid mistakes, people sin against us, people, they, they hurt us, they damage us, they wound us and I know it sucks about this life but it is the reality and the sooner we can embrace the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die and to take that unforgiveness he took that pain he took that hurt he took what your dad did to you many years ago he took the fact that your brother mistreated you or that pastor was mean to you he took that very thing on the cross why are you holding on to it it's not yours you will not experience the full weight of the redemption and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ if you can't let go want to have the best Christmas you've ever had with your family? Let go. Forgive. Let go. It's very easy for us to forgive with our mind. The scripture here says, our last verse today, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. From where? From your heart. Just close your eyes for a minute. Michael's going to come. Just close your eyes for a moment. I just believe anytime we talk about the forgiveness, it's really challenging because I know how hard it is to forgive. I've carried a lot of resentment, bitterness, and anger in my life. And only by God's grace have I been able to forgive. And I believe right now he's going to give you grace. If you're here today and you're holding any unforgiveness in your life, you can't engage your family through faith. You can't engage your family through acceptance. You can't engage your family through humility until you can forgive. Father, I just pray right now as we worship, as we respond in this moment, I pray that your grace and your mercy and your strength today, God, would come. And I pray that, Father, that whatever it is, God, I know that there's some big stuff in these people's lives, in my life too, God, where there's areas of offense and forgiveness. God, would you come as we worship you and respond to you in these last few moments, God? Would you come and would you give us the, the, the capacity to forgive those who've sinned against us? Come on, I just sense the Spirit of God is here right now. Holy Spirit. Father, I just pray every heart 
with rocks and weeds and pain and offense, fear. Lord, right now, we just go into the depths of their heart. We just pull it right out. We just go into the depths of the areas of their heart where they can't get past this thing. They can't get past this area. We go right into their heart right now, Holy Spirit. And like a surgeon, begin to cut it out of their heart right now. Come on, let's just stand together and we're going to worship Jesus this morning. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.